of August 15, 2021, the Afghan capital of Kabul was captured by the Taliban, a Sunni Islamic fundamentalist organization. Just hours beforehand, Afghan President Ashraf Ghani had fled to Uzbekistan, leaving the Taliban to declare the establishment of the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan. The Taliban had previously ruled over Afghanistan under this name between 1996 and 2001. This new government is still young, making it difficult to predict exactly what it will be like, but this previous five-year Taliban rule of Afghanistan certainly gives us an idea. The Taliban's fundamentalist ideas are made up of a combination of Sharia law, a strict interpretation of the Quran, and Pashtun Wali, the traditionalist lifestyle of the Pashtun people, Afghanistan's largest ethnic group. Under these strict customs, activities such as playing sports and listening to music were forbidden. Religious minorities, including both Shia Muslims and non-Muslims, face frequent discrimination, including being forbidden from living with Sunni Muslims and being forced to wear yellow clothing so Sunnis can distance themselves from them. This religious discrimination primarily targeted Hindus and Sikhs, but also affected were the small population of Christians and Buddhists, as well as Zablon Simintov, the last known Jew in Afghanistan. Even compared to these groups, the worst affected by Taliban rule were women and girls. Under Taliban rule, women and girls were forbidden from working, receiving an education, or being treated by male doctors. They also were required to have a male chaperone and wear a burqa in public. Based on what we know about Taliban rule, the situation in Afghanistan will most likely get worse before it gets better. The fall of the Afghan government was preceded by the withdrawal of American troops from Afghanistan, which began under the administration of President Donald Trump, but was fully executed under the administration of President Joe Biden. But, you may ask, how did American troops even get to Afghanistan in the first place? The U.S. military's 19-year intervention in Afghanistan is the longest American military engagement in U.S. history. On the morning of September 11, 2001, 19 members of the terrorist group Al-Qaeda flew planes into the World Trade Center in New York City and the Department of Defense headquarters in Washington, D.C., in addition to a plane that crashed in rural Pennsylvania as passengers thwarted an attempted attack on the U.S. Capitol. The September 11th attacks killed 2,977 American civilians, making it the worst terrorist attack in U.S. history. It should be noted that the Taliban, a strictly isolationist organization, did not do 9-11, and they didn't support it, publicly at least. After the attacks, Taliban leadership immediately condemned the attacks and called for those involved to be prosecuted. But at the time of the attacks, Osama bin Laden, the mastermind of the attacks, was living in Taliban-controlled Afghanistan. On September 20, 2001, President George Bush issued an ultimatum to the Taliban to hand over bin Laden to the U.S. What happened next is disputed. The Taliban either requested evidence of bin Laden's involvement or protected bin Laden under the Pashtun value of hospitality, but what is known is that the Taliban did not extradite bin Laden to the U.S. 
In response, on October 7, 2001, the U.S. invaded Afghanistan. By December 17, 2001, the Taliban had fallen, and after several transitional governments, the U.S.-backed Islamic Republic of Afghanistan was established. For another 19 years, American troops remained in Afghanistan to keep the peace. This led to criticism from within America and without about the practicality and ethicality of a long-term intervention in Afghanistan. In addition, many have questioned the U.S. government's own role in creating an environment for the Taliban to come into existence. These claims stem from a conflict that began in the late 1970s. This earlier conflict ultimately set the stage for the modern issues plaguing Afghanistan today. I'm going to tell you all about it right now on Historia Obscura. Welcome to Historia Obscura. This is the 43rd episode of this podcast, and I hope that this episode will help you understand the background of what is happening in Afghanistan right now. Special thank you to Patreon subscribers Barbara and Tom. If you want to receive a shout-out in every episode, among other benefits, help support this podcast by going to patreon.com slash historiaobscura and becoming a patron. One more thing, make sure to stick around for a little to hear a message about the sponsor of this episode of Historia Obscura, Anchor. If you want to make your own podcast, you'll want to know everything about how to use Anchor. For most of human history, Afghanistan has been inhabited by four primary ethnic groups, the Pashtuns, the Tajiks, the Hazaras, and the Uzbeks. These groups frequently fought amongst themselves as well as with neighboring empires that invaded and conquered Afghanistan. In the mid-1800s, a diplomatic conflict over the political status of Afghanistan, known as the Great Game, arose between the Russian Empire and the British Empire. If you look at Afghanistan on a map, you'll see a small panhandle that juts out from the east of Afghanistan and stretches to the border with China. At its narrowest point, this panhandle is only 10 miles wide. During the Great Game, this extremely thin panhandle served as a buffer zone between Russian Turkestan, today part of Tajikistan and Uzbekistan, and British Raj, which is today part of India and Pakistan. Both the Russians and the British feared that the other would invade Afghanistan, removing the mutual protection offered by the panhandle. As a result, Russia and Britain each attempted to invade Afghanistan on several occasions, but were usually repelled by Afghan civilians, if only the U.S. government remembered that in 2001. Following the Third Afghan-Anglo War, the British finally agreed to recognize Afghanistan's sovereignty as an independent nation. In 1917, the Russian Revolution occurred and the Russian Empire became the USSR. Initially, Soviet Premier Vladimir Lenin congratulated the Afghan government for withstanding British imperialism and sought to create a friendly relationship between the USSR and Afghanistan. However, later leaders of the USSR were much less friendly toward Afghanistan. 
1968, Soviet Premier Leonid Brezhnev issued the Brezhnev Doctrine, which stated that any threat to socialism in a nation in the Soviet sphere of influence would be considered a threat to the USSR itself and would therefore justify Soviet military intervention in said nation. April 28, 1978, members of the People's Democratic Party of Afghanistan, a communist group backed by the USSR, overthrew Afghan President Mohammad Dawood Khan. Khan and his family were murdered as PDPA rebels stormed his presidential palace. Following this coup d'etat, the PDPA established the Democratic Republic of Afghanistan, a single-party socialist republic with PDPA chairman Nur Muhammad Taraki as its leader. This new government was extremely autocratic and immediately began mass purges of those suspected of sympathizing with Khan's government. The new government immediately began a series of reforms designed to modernize Afghanistan. These included cracking down on forced marriages of women and girls, eliminating illiteracy, and protecting the rights of ethnic minorities. These reforms led to animosity towards the new government from the traditionalist Muslim population of Afghanistan. At the same time, the communist government also carried out various land reforms in an attempt to end income inequality. These reforms threatened powerful landowners in Afghanistan, leading them to unite with religious fundamentalists against the new government. Several Islamic guerrilla groups, known loosely as Mujahideen, soon emerged. Mujahideen is Arabic for one who wages jihad. When Afghan Mujahideen began fighting against the communist government of Afghanistan, the USSR started to consider intervening. Remember, the Brezhnev Doctrine stated that the USSR would intervene in any conflict that posed a threat to a socialist nation. However, Brezhnev was still wary of entering the conflict. The final push needed occurred on October 8, 1979, when Nur Muhammad Taraki was suffocated to death with pillows on the orders of his second-in-command, Hafizullah Amin. Fearing that Amin would change Afghanistan's loyalty to the U.S., Brezhnev authorized Soviet troops to invade Afghanistan on December 27, 1989. On the night of the invasion, Hafizullah Amin was assassinated by Soviet forces. Soviet loyalist Babrak Karmal was installed as the new leader of Afghanistan. In response to the Soviet invasion, Afghanistan's fiercely religious neighboring nation, Pakistan, began secretly assisting the Mujahideen. Now bear in mind, Pakistan was allied with the United States, and as a result, the CIA was working with Pakistan's Inner Services Intelligence, or ISI. The CIA's direct cooperation with the Mujahideen is a subject of debate, but since the CIA was working with the ISI, which was working with the Mujahideen, it is accepted that the CIA was at least passively supporting the Mujahideen. In addition to the US, China, Saudi Arabia, the UK, West Germany, Egypt, and Israel were all known to provide similar support to the ISI and by extension, the Mujahideen. 
The financial assistance from the ISI allowed the Mujahideen to fly volunteers from Arab nations, known colloquially as the Afghan Arabs, into Afghanistan to fight for the Mujahideen. Remember the Afghan Arabs, they'll become important later on. Most of the international community responded negatively to the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan. Both the United Nations and the Organization of Islamic Cooperation demanded a withdrawal of Soviet troops from Afghanistan. The U.S. also led a boycott of the 1980 Summer Olympics in Moscow, USSR. Another 64 nations participated in the boycott. In response, the USSR and 14 other communist nations boycotted the 1984 Summer Olympics in Los Angeles, California. The boycotts and sanctions from the international community did not lead to a Soviet withdrawal from Afghanistan, and the invasion became yet another foreign policy concern of the already unpopular administration of U.S. President Jimmy Carter. In the 1980 presidential election, Carter just barely defeated Massachusetts Senator Ted Kennedy in the Democratic primaries before being trounced by Republican California Governor Ronald Reagan in the general election. Reagan won 489 electoral votes to Carter's 49. After Ronald Reagan became president, the U.S. government's support of the Mujahideen became much more overt. Under Reagan's new national security advisor, Richard V. Allen, a native of Collingswood, New Jersey, the U.S. government began advising the Mujahideen to start attacking within Soviet territory. The Mujahideen developed extremely skillful methods for sabotaging Soviet forces, such as targeting power lines to disable Soviet communications and assassinating top Soviet military officials by analyzing their daily itineraries and choosing the right time to inject them with poison. Simultaneously, the Mujahideen was known to enlist child soldiers and attack civilians. The 1985 downing of a commercial Bakhtar Airlines plane in Kandahar by Mujahideen killed all 52 civilians aboard, and today there are as many as 15 million landmines planted by Mujahideen still scattered in Afghanistan. In 1985, Soviet Premier Mikhail Gorbachev took power. He began instituting social reforms known as perestroika. These included easing up on intervention in foreign conflicts such as the conflict in Afghanistan. Gorbachev saw the writing on the wall that the war was unwinnable, and on April 14, 1988, the U.S., USSR, Afghanistan, and Pakistan signed the Geneva Accords, in which the USSR agreed to withdraw troops from Afghanistan within one year. On February 15, 1989, the last Soviet troops left Afghanistan. Three years later, on April 27, 1992, the Mujahideen declared victory and the Democratic Republic of Afghanistan fell. In total, as many as two million civilians were killed in the Soviet-Afghan War, accounting for 11% of the pre-war population. But the war wasn't even really over yet. The Mujahideen splintered into two opposing militia groups, Jamiati Islami and Hezbi Islami. In 1994, a new militia, known as the Taliban, joined the fighting. On September 27, 1994, 
1996, the Taliban won the civil war and established the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan. Since the Taliban didn't exist until 1994, you can argue that the U.S. didn't directly cause their rise to power. However, who the U.S. did actually assist may have been even worse. Remember the Arab Afghans who traveled to Afghanistan to fight in the Mujahideen? Well, one leader of the Arab Afghans was a young Saudi engineering student who reportedly grew rich from American and Pakistani military aid. Following the war, he remained in Afghanistan and established an Islamic fundamentalist organization called the Foundation, better known by its Arabic name, Al-Qaeda. That man was Osama bin Laden. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Historia Obscura. This topic has certainly had a major impact since it occurred, and I hope I did a good job explaining this impact. If you want to suggest an episode of Historia Obscura, send me a voice message at anchor.fm slash historiaobscura slash message. Feel free to leave your name and location, and if I like your idea, I'll make an episode of it and give you credit. Additionally, if you want to support this podcast, go to patreon.com slash historia obscura and become a patron. And of course, I can't go without once again thanking this episode's sponsor, Anchor. They are by far the easiest way to make a podcast, so if you want to make your own, go to anchor.fm. With that said, this is Jack from Historia Obscura, signing off, but not for long.